Welcome to the show. Today, my guest is uh, Rain Belshare. He's the front man for the band Early Ray. They are a country rock band from South Carolina. Uh, so I talked to him about a lot of stuff. Uh, growing up in the South, Southern cuisine, growing up a heavy metal fan, playing with a lot of the heavy metal fan uh, bands that he was a fan of. And toured. he toured with a guy named Wednesday 13, kind of like a Marilyn Manson type band. And he played with Motley Crue and Alice Cooper and Slayer and all these other famous heavy metal bands. Um, and then, of course, we talk about his friendship with Janie Lane, the singer of Warrant. Um, and now with his country band, Early Ray, they they do a, it's not really a cover. It's more of a reimagining of the song Cherry Pie. They've called it now Apple Pie. It's got different lyrics. Um, so check that out. We also talk a little bit about movies and filming locations because he likes to visit uh, famous pop culture locations just like me. Um, so it was a lot of fun. It's great chatting with him and fun to have him on. Enjoy it. Hello. Ray. Hey. How's it going? Good. How you doing, buddy? Good, good, good. Welcome to my show. Good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. So you go you go by just Ray, right? I mean, your full name is Rayan uh, Belshare, though, right? Yeah, I, I go by Rayan. You can call me Ray, Ryan. I get it all. So I'm a, if you just say R or something, I'm, I usually get it. My, my last name is kind of, kind of hard to pronounce as well, Belshare, but. It's what I was given. So, yeah. But you could call my name Rayan, like the fabric, except the N. Okay. Rayan. Okay, Rayan. Yeah. So, yeah, so you're from uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina. So I, I tried to do a little bit of research on that city. Um, you guys had a lot of good football players from there. One of them, I'm a big Seahawks fan, so J- Jadavion Clowney's from there. I don't know if you knew that. I did know that. He's, he's uh, He worked out at LA Fitness, the same gym I go to in, uh, with Stephon Gilmore from the Patriots and uh, Chris Hope, who used to play for the Steelers. We're a big football town. I actually played for the same elementary school football team, Pee Wee League team, as a uh, clowny. So we, it's just, wow. I think I read per, per capita, like city size versus how many NFL players they produce, we're number one in the country. Dang, I believe they are because it's, it's a smaller town, right? Well, we've become. We, we used to be up until about five years ago, we started growing out. Charlotte started growing so big, it grew into Rock Hill. But we're, we're right past the state line of North Carolina into South Carolina. But we've, we've become a little bit bigger of a small town. But, you know, five years ago, there was, it was everybody knew each other. Now it's kind of starting to, get, you know, get a lot of new people coming in, a lot of new construction, a lot of new stuff. It's kind of like everywhere. Okay. Is that so? Are you by that south of the border town? Did you ever visit there? That on the like the south of the border, like the gift shop. It's like a, it's like a like a Hispanic or a Mexican themed yeah. town. I we we went to North Carolina and we wanted to go to Myrtle Beach and stuff. So we drove we drove all through North and South Carolina. But I remember seeing that and thinking it has like a big uh, water tower with a sombrero. It was kind of a yeah. kind of touristy kind of place. Yeah. Yeah, I passed through there a bunch of times, and uh, you know they used to have a zoo, which is really? crazy. But yeah, but I think it was kind of one of those Tiger King zoos where it was a little sketchy, so oh. it got shut down. Yeah, I believe yeah, it that. Got shut down, but but yeah, it's, it's a little wild down here in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, how would you? Because I think people have this perception of the South. I know I did, and I was kind of excited to go visit and see, you know, Southern culture. I thought it would be like a real Southern culture. And I thought it'd be so much different. And, uh, you know, we landed in Charlotte 
And Charlotte is just, it's like any other city. It's you couldn't tell the difference between that and Denver, but, um, you know, Rock Hill, I'm assuming is a little bit more, is there more Southern culture there? Yeah. You, you know, depending on what type of stuff you're looking for, if you're looking for Southern food, it's a really good idea to do do research or ask the local because there's a lot of chains down here who try to disguise themselves as Southern food. Uh, so, yeah. So if you, or if you want to go to, let's say you're like, Hey, I want to check out, you know, a, a honky tonk, like a real live, like, what was that movie? Um, John Travolta was in urban cowboy, like that yeah. kind of honky tonk. Yeah. They exist everywhere. You just got to look for, you just have to know somebody oh. or you have to do some research. So if you ever get back down this way and you, and, uh, you want to see some traditional Southern kind of vibe and culture, just, uh, hit me up. I'll be happy to help you out. Yeah, that, that'd be that'd be great. Yeah, because I remember we we went down there and I was looking for oddly enough because I know uh, we'll get, and we'll get to this your new song apple pie. But I was looking for a good you know home cooked like meal with like a, a slice of pie. Like so I, I wanted to go to a diner and um, have a uh, pie, and I couldn't oh, find man. a diner with pie. It was when we drove all through North and South Carolina. It was insane. Well, there's you probably without even knowing it passed. 50 of them but really again, i definitely have, passed a lot yeah, of churches i will say that we did see a lot of churches yeah there's a lot of churches but there's a lot of a lot of those places it, it's it's really weird because of a lot of the growth and a lot of the chain restaurants a lot of the really small southern kind of cooking places yeah. they don't even advertise they don't even advertise oh. they don't even have a, they don't even have a sign out front because they they're so busy with locals who want to just huh. continue enjoying the food they like it's not to get rid of people it's yeah. just to manage just to manage what they can manage um but yeah if you ever get back down this way man let me know i'll, I'll send you a, a proper list of some some great spots oh definitely yeah once the uh pandemic thing is over and people can travel uh but so like speaking of food now your mom was a short order cook so did she have any right. good southern dishes that she cooked up for you guys oh man absolutely my mom uh, we, down in the South, there's pretty standard places and they're everywhere, but especially here, it's like a, a three veggie and a meat plate kind of place. And, uh, my mom cooked, you know, collard greens, uh, cabbage, stew, meatloaf, sweet potatoes, fig pie, apple pies, uh, pumpkin pies, cakes. I mean, it's just, I'm a big boy for a reason. So let's that way. <laughs> yeah, you're making me hungry. So does she? She goes out and works and cooks. Does she come home and cook, or is she like? Is she like? It's like I always wonder that kind of stuff. Like with people who are housekeepers, do they go home and they live in a messy house because they're so sick of doing that, or is she just like, uh, I'll just cook more and cook for you boys too? Or no, my mom. That my mom grew up. She, you know, back in I don't know small town days of of Rock Hill and, you know, the education system wasn't that great. And she dropped out of school. They wouldn't take her in, in, in the particular school for a lot of reasons. They, they weren't taking certain kids in certain areas. So she dropped out mm -hmm. and learned how to cook. So when she learned how to cook, that became her pride and joy. So she loved cooking for us more, more than, you know, cooking at the restaurant. Okay. But she mm -hmm. was, she, she was, she was, she still will, you know, uh, call me up and be like, come over, grab food. She loves it. That's that. When you meet a, uh, like a Southern lady who takes pride in her cooking, mm -hmm. she'll get up in the middle of the night and cook for you. You know, <laughs> She's like, okay, let's cook at wow. 2 a.m. You hungry? 
You know, I, 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 back in the day when I was a kid, I'd come home from playing at little garage band shows around town and be 1 a.m. and she'd wake up and she'd be like, you hungry? You know, like, so, no, she, she was, uh, that's her pride and joy. That's, that's something she takes a lot of pride in is being a, being a good cook. Oh, for sure. Okay. And then, so your dad, he was a mill worker and he coached football and baseball. So I'm assuming, uh, or I think I know that you did play football. You almost went to, uh, university of South Carolina, right? So you played sports growing up a lot. That was a big part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a gigantic person. I was, I'm, I'm built like a tight end. I'm six, four, 200 and whatever pounds now. I don't even know, <laughs> but, uh, my, my dad was grooming me to be an athlete and I was struggling with it because I found kids alive in my brother's room and right. I became, I became obsessed. And my brother who is like five ten was the one who was obsessed with being an athlete. It was like, we, we, we were born in the wrong body. <laughs> Whoops. But, uh, yeah, but he, he, my brother was a starting quarterback at, at the, at the, uh, at local high school, all-star guy and, uh, went, played baseball in college for a minute and tried out for the football team. But back then our team, South Carolina, which we're still, you know, no powerhouse, but you know, those are the years of going 0 and 11. Oh. So being, you know, having recruiters come to your school and go, that guy, Back then, the recruiters would come to your school, high school, and go, who's the biggest guy at school? They would be like, on, on the team? No, at the school. And they would get you and oh. say, hey, you ever thought about playing football? Just like they find these soccer players or these basketball players in other countries and go, hmm. come play football, you know, and they never played. And, and I got I got soft recruited to go play, and but it just wasn't for me. I wanted to go to L.A. and try to be a rock star, so. Yeah, so that so you you discovered your brother's uh, Kiss records, and you became a big Kiss fan. Did you ever put on the makeup? Oh yeah, dude, I, I still <laughs> do it occasionally for Halloween. Absolutely. So then you were a fan. Photos. Oh really? No, yeah, on my Facebook and stuff, there's just photos of me dressed as Gene. So yeah, I'm a big big nerd. I'm a big nerd for that stuff. And then you you went from being a fan to actually playing. Your your grandfather bought you guitar at, at age fourteen. Was that an acoustic or electric guitar? I don't know if that was misquoted, but I was a lot younger than fourteen. I think Ooh. fourteen is when I got my, my first electric. Okay, my grandfather bought, bought me my first acoustic when I was like seven or eight. Right when I became obsessed with it. Oh, and that's really young. String, yeah. couple of strings broke. It was. It, it, yeah, it was like a flea market guitar that the, the action was so high, you just couldn't play it. So I spray painted it and, and, uh, and did the whole, uh, you know, crash the guitar on, on concrete just to, just to practice my <laughs> rock star breaking the guitar thing. So yeah, I did that when I was eight. But when I was like 13, 14, I got my first electric, which was a PV Predator, red and white. Like, That's you know, the same uh, guitar I had. That's funny. Yeah, like the you do you remember like the Fender style kind of like TV Predators? Um, they kind of looked like a yes. Almost, it was kind of a knockoff. Like a, Mine was black yeah, and white. Yeah, yep. same one. I think they came in red and white and black and white and okay. blue and white. I think. Yeah, yeah. But that was my first guitar. I had a little PV amp and um, taught myself how to play, and and that started my whole whole march towards talking to you today so sure so yeah. yeah besides kiss what other uh i know you were kind of into the hair metal 80s uh rock scene what other bands were really influential for you when i was growing up 
I grew up in the in you know the Bible Belt South, so I was surrounded by country gospel. But I was a kid, so I really liked what I thought was cool was like monsters and rock and fire and blood, like Kiss. And then yeah. I really, really got into Motley Crue. Uh, I was a member of the Motley Crue fan club. I still had my membership card when I was eight, eight or nine. And um, and then the movie Decline of Western Civilization came out, part two, the metal years. And my life changed. I, I was like, I'm going to go for that. And I did. And uh, I've had a few successes along the way that were pretty cool. And I got to experience that. And, and a lot of people I looked up to are now my peers and friends. And uh, But yeah, a lot of people hide hide from their influence of the 80s. And I run to it. So Yeah. So you actually played a show with uh, Motley Crue once, right? I did. The, I, I played bass. For uh, a guy named Wednesday Thirteen, who's a shock rock guy, yeah, kind of like a Marilyn friends. Manson kind of, right? Yep, yeah. We did in summer two thousand five. We had a video out on Headbangers Ball. We had a record out on Roadrunner. He was just coming off of a run with the Murder Dolls, and he had a lot of hype. And we got to play Castle Donington. We did all the festivals. So we played with everybody from Motley to Manson to Slayer, everybody. And but Motley especially. Wednesday and I came come from here, and uh, we met ironically for the first time when we were a kid, like fifteen, at a tough show. Which again, this is all full circle, uh, Stevie. But uh, who's the later, singer? Of, who's the, he's a singer of tough, and then he's now your manager, right? Right, he's my partner in, in this whole thing, and uh, he's a, he's a he's a great friend. We've been friends since I met him at a Wednesday show at the Whiskey fifteen years ago, but. Um, but yeah, so Wednesday he did the murdered all thing, and then he got offered a deal, and we stayed friends. And he called, since we loved the same stuff, he knew I was into. He calls me up and he goes, "Hey, you want to play bass for the band?" And I was like, "Yeah," just like boom, off to the races. And uh, we were in Germany, in uh, at Nuremberg, we were playing a festival, and we got him. He and I got invited by Nikki to hang out in the dressing room. So it was me, Nikki Six, Vince Neil, and Wednesday Thirteen. And, and what year we was this? Sorry, two thousand and five. Okay. And so we and, and Wednesday and I were looking at each other like, how did we get here? Because two kids without, because his mom was a shorter cook too, or is one. And um, it, so how we got here at that moment was like, you could have bought a million scratch off tickets and not not ended up there. So that was a. Uh, that was really cool, and Nikki and those guys were great to us. We got to stand on the stage. They gave us passes, and Nikki invited me. And uh, at the time, our guitar player, Piggy D, who now plays for Rob Zombie Band, uh, me, Piggy, and Nikki all went, and we toured, like, all kind of stuff from, like, historic stuff he wanted to see. And I was just such a geek. I was like, dude, I'll go anywhere. I don't care. Let's go hang out. Yeah. So, but. Yeah, big fan. And that was kind of like, that was one of those moments where I was like, I could die now kind of thing. It was such a cool moment. And uh, yeah. So dude, did they was, have like a big entourage with them? Was there like crew and girlfriends and other, and other people? Or was it just like the, the, the five or six of you, you said, or? Meaning when Nikki took it, it was just me, Nikki, me, Nikki, Tiggy D and whoever Nikki's handler was. Wow. I guess, a, a sign from the local crew. And it was just the four of us walking wow. around checking out stuff. That's yeah. crazy. 
and I've had the opportunity to meet Nikki again probably 20 times since, and I, I avoid it because I had such a great day with that guy, um, <laughs> and he was such a hero of mine. I'm yeah. like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm cashing out, bro. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to tempt it, yeah, because I don't want to run run into that day. Everybody has a bad day. I yeah. don't want to run into him when he ha- when he's having a bad day and ruin that. I have such a great memory of that. And um, but yeah, big went from being a member of the fan club at eight to playing with him in Germany. So it's crazy. And then another person that you got to uh, one of your heroes, you got to play. You got to sing background vocals on "Schools Out" for, with Alice Cooper. Yeah, we on that in that same year. Later that year, we did like a three week run with Alice, and the last night was Halloween. And we were at the Grove in Anaheim, California. And, you know, we were timid and we were all worshipped Alice. And I saw Alice that day in catering. And I just said, hey, Alice, I, I just wanted to thank you for having us. This has been the thrill of a lifetime. And I said, I know you hear this all the time, but you've never heard it from me. When I was a kid for years straight, I wore your makeup to school on Halloween. And I was Alice Cooper for Halloween because that was kind of an easier makeup than Gene Simmons and, sure. and my mom could do it. And he kind of laughed and he was just like, well, look at this. Now you're playing with with me on Halloween. I was like, dude, I can't wait to see the show. And he just said, be on the side of the stage at the, at the end. And I didn't really know what that meant. But me and Wednesday were standing there and, and uh, Alice looked at us and was like, get over here. And he just put us on the background mic and, and they did all the balloons and the balls and oh. dude, it, it was a, uh, it was a nerd dream come true. I felt like a make a wish kid, you know, like somebody <laughs> came and was like, for real, you know, no, you know that just, sounds no amazing. but, but that's just the truth. I felt like, who am I about to die? Is this God's way of saying you, you had a great life because this does not happen to, you know, chubby kids from Rock Hill without, you know, Wednesday and I had no connections in this business, no lessons from anybody. We didn't have a rich family. We, we come from poor, poor neighborhoods. You know, I lived on a dirt floor with a crate, with a TV, with aluminum foil watching Headbangers Ball when I was a kid. Like, to come from there to just accomplish that little bit, well, not a little bit, just accomplish that lot. You know, I was ready to cash in, but I just, you know, wanted to evolve myself. And when I, when I, after we did those few tours, it became evident to me that Wednesday and I were both songwriters and both front guys. And I was just like, you know, I got to do everything I wanted to do. Wednesday's one of my best friends. So I kind of resigned from playing with him to start my own project, which is Early Ray, um, back then. And the whole idea was the older I got, the more I understood and liked country music like mm-hmm. Merle Haggard, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. I'm listening to them at 28, 29 going, I get it. I, I get what <laughs> right. you're saying. Like, because I, they're, you know, now you know how to struggle and talk about paying the bills and heartache and all those things. Like you, you get that now. Oh. Right. It's, it's, so my idea was, you know what? I want to do something fresh and new. And I, and I was playing with house money because I'd kind of accomplished all my childhood dreams in some ways at that point. I thought, and I was like, I just want to put together a country band because, again, I'm six foot four. You know, you go to these towns and, and you see people try to recreate the idea of glam. And it's like, dude, you're 50 and you don't look like <laughs> Brett Michaels. You got to you got to get in your lane, bro. Like, but these people hang on to it and wear these wigs and look crazy. But I love the music. So I, I didn't want to approach it like that. I wanted to be myself. And I'm like, let me do something that's fun. I want to just as a creative person, I want to put 
step my foot into the storytelling of country music, but I want to see how much of the Sunset Strip 80s I can kind of insert through the back door and kind of, because country music fans, I will tell you, are most like 80s rock fans. They just mm-hmm. want to show up. They want to leave their brain and their problems in the car and go have fun. They don't want to be, they don't want to be preached to. They don't want to be, you know, uh, they don't want people to tell them how to feel about certain things. They just want to walk in, have fun, meet a girl or a guy, have a few drinks, party, hear some good music, party and go home. That, and, and so that's kind of, when I went to a few of those shows, I'm like, this is a poison concert, but I'm, I'm at a Jason Aldean show. This is a poison show. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how it started. And, um, and yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of what I've been doing for the last while. Yeah. So tell the story. I mean, I've already heard it, but, um, tell, tell my audience, uh, the, how you came up with the, or you didn't come up with, I guess it was your grandmother that gave you the, the nickname early Ray. Yeah. When I was putting a band together, I didn't want to call it Ray and Belcher because for, for several reasons, I just, nobody can pronounce or say my name ever. And, uh, and so I was just, I was, but I just didn't want to call it like railroad junction or just some <laughs> generic name. Yeah. You know, I wanted to give it something that had a little vibe. And uh, my grandparents, this was years ago, so, you know, all good. But they both passed passed away right around that time. And uh, so I was thinking about them a lot. And uh, I remembered my middle name is Earl. My grandfather's name is Earl. So when we would come in from fishing or, you know, he would take me wherever, my grandmother would always say, there's Earl and Early Ray, because my first name is Ray. And, and um and that always stuck with me. And so when we were coming up with band names, I'm like, Early Ray, that's easy to say and spell. That's my grandmother's nickname. Let's see if the dot-com's available. And that's always kind of the test, right? Oh, if, right, If yeah. the dot-com's available. So I got on the search. It was available. I bought it and uh, trademarked the name. And, you know, that I just felt like that was a uh, a cool a cool tribute to my grandparents. It gave the, the project the name as a band, not a solo guy. Um yeah. And, yeah. And people seem to dig it. Yeah. No, it's great. And, it's and, easier to find. and you've got a, you put together a great band. So let's talk about that because you've got the uh, Hootie and the Blowfish uh, drummer, or I guess he does percussion for them, but he plays drums for you. Uh, Gary Green. You're right. Now, now, how does that work? Because he's technically still in Hootie and the Blowfish too. Is there ever a conflict there? Or? No, actually, Mark Bryan, the guitar player from Hootie, was producing some of my stuff. I don't know. 12 years ago, we were, he was working on some songs with me. We were working on them. The curly haired guy you see in all the videos. And, um, his name's Mark Bryan. And while we were there, he goes, I want to bring in a drummer to play these, play on your tracks. He's great. And he was, he was our percussion player. And of course I was familiar with Hootie, mm-hmm. very familiar with Hootie because they're from here. Did you ever and, go um, to the, um, Hootie and the Blowfish monument in South Carolina? To the what? They have like a, it's like a monument kind of thing. I don't know. I went there. It was like, it's in South Carolina. You never been to that? Uh, man, I don't recall. I've been to every Hootie thing. They do a thing called Monday after the mass. Yeah. They have oh, a, put it on your have, uh, nerd location list. I know we'll talk about that in a minute too. But anyways, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so you, uh, but, so they had Gary come in to play the drums. Yeah. He comes in, he crushes it and we start talking about Iron Maiden. And we start to bond over our love of like eighties. And then the control guy turned around and he goes, dude, and we started just nerding out. And I was like, where did you said you came from Rock Hill? And he was like, yeah, I live in Rock Hill. I was like, me too. Where, where at? 
And we started narrowing it down. Turns out we lived about 200 yards from each other. Wow. So so after when I was putting the band together, I called Mark. And Hootie was kind of on a break because Darius was doing country. And I called Mark and I, you know, I said, hey, Mark, I just want to, you know, be respectful. Can, do you mind if I ask Gary to play some shows with me? He said, absolutely not, man. Go for it. And so I called Gary and he's, he's, in, he's still in the band this many years later. But we, you know, I certainly, when he has to go, Hootie is his, is, is you know, his, his big gig. But sure. when he has to go do that, when he has to go do that, we use kind of a sub and we have a few guys we use. But he's the, he's the founding drummer member of the band and he's the guy that you see in the uh apple pie video cool and then and if you ever watch i'm sorry if no, you ever watch hootie he's yeah. the guy playing percussion right yeah. and then so the rest of the band's filled out by uh the bassist carrie brooks from the indigo girls and then a, a fiddle player joanna perry and then you also had uh the warrant guitarist play uh billy morris he put pl- he played just on apple pie though he didn't play on any other songs right right yeah yeah yep. he came in he, the idea actually came from Billy. Billy was a good friend of Janie's and he was in the band Warrant towards the end and Janie's solo band. And the original first conception of this whole apple pie flip on cherry pies started with him and uh, went to Stevie and Stevie brought it to me four years ago, three, four years ago, but understandably, right? I didn't hold any grudges, but when I heard it, I'm like, that's from, there's literally one guy that's in current country music that's qualified to do this. Because in my opinion, country and eighties, you have to have a certain level of authenticity or it looks fake. Mm-hmm. You can look at the Motley, you can look at the Motley Crue country tribute and, uh, you know, I rest my case. <laughs> they used a lot of, most of those people didn't know the difference between Motley Crue and Mott the Hoople. They just played the songs and, mm-hmm. they, and it showed when you listen to it, you're like, these guys don't get it. And, um, so I really wanted to bring in together the vibes of, of both genres and, and uh, I'm sorry, I got off track here. I'm just running my mouth, but <laughs> that's how we ended up. Yeah. That's how we ended up here. And then years, a few years ago when Stevie got the call, he calls me up and he's like, Hey, check this out. And I call him back. I'm like, I want that song, dude. Let's let me do that. And uh, he calls Billy and they wanted like, you know, a bigger artist like Zach Brown or Al Dean or somebody on it. And I was like, I understand. But I told Stevie back then, I said, nobody's going to understand this but me. And then back in January this year, I just called Stevie and said, hey, I'm going to, you know, Hootie's off tour, Indigo Girls, Amy Ray, they're all off tour. We're doing stuff with the band. I'd like to cut that song. Is it, is it available? And he calls Billy and Billy goes, yeah, dude, nobody picked up on it. It's just sitting on a hard drive in, somewhere in Nashville. And so we tracked it down and. Uh, I was flying to LA and I went to Matt Thorne's studio who recorded Janie a lot. And, uh, I wanted to do it in LA to give it that, that vibe. And, um, the next day I was at the rainbow shooting the music video with Bobby Brown and Stevie got on board and we, we, we finished the video about a month ago here in South Carolina. And here we are with a, with a cool single and a tribute to Warrant and Janie Lane. Yeah, no, it sounds great. I love it. Yeah. And that is cool that Bobby Brown, who, She's in the original uh, Warrant Cherry Pie video. She makes a cameo in this one. But go, let's go back for a second because tell me um, your your friend. You kind of had a friendship with Janie Lane. Basically, you met him in uh, at the national at uh, the music convention. I forget, it's N A M M. I always forget what that stands for in L A. But um, tell tell the story about that. How you got to know Janie Lane? Well, 
it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll touch on all the parts. When I was a kid, my first concert I ever saw, my brother took me, was Poison and Warrant on, I think, Flesh and Blood Tour. And Joey Allen threw a guitar pick at me. And I was just so, and so technically they were the first band I saw and they made such a big impression. I was just such a fan. And then I just started to realize how much of a great songwriter Janie was. Like, I'd hear other bands in that era and the, in the music was, some of it would be disposable, but Janie always had like lyrics that were clever. They were deep. They kind of approached things differently. And so it was on my bucket list as a kid. Like I got to write a song with that guy. And I just liked the songwriting. And I was at NAMM uh, in 96 or seven and I saw Janie and I was like freaking out being a nerd. And, um, and I stopped him and said, Hey, can I grab a photo? And, I could tell he was not really in a good mood. And I just said, hey, man, thank you. I just think you're a great songwriter. And he stopped. He turned around. And he goes, what'd you say? I said, dude, I'm just a fan. I think you're a great songwriter. I'm sorry to bother you. And he came back, shook my hand, and apologized and said, dude, I needed to hear that today. Thank you. You know. And uh, he goes, fuck that picture. Screw that picture. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, screw that picture. And he goes, screw that picture. And he stopped somebody walking and said, will you take this photo for us? And we retook the photo, which you see in the Sludge article. Um, And then, so then years later, I was working with, uh, years later, I had a band and we were working with Mike Raphael from Jailhouse, working with John Kalodner's Portrait Records, trying to get it, you know, work out a deal with him and John Weakland. We had it all set up. And when I was out there, we had to find an attorney because we were on our way to signing a record deal. This was a band called Ultraside that nobody's ever heard of, but it was a band that I was in and we did some demos. And so we did, we, so a list of attorneys came at me and one of them was Owen Sloan. And I was like, that's who reps warrant because I saw his name in the record. I want that guy. I, I trust him. I was 21 and at 22, I was like, I trust that guy because he rep warrant. So he did the showcase at the Viper Room for management. So afterwards, all the managers who want, because once you have a deal, they all want to manage you, right? Uh-huh. So we went up to the we went up to the Rainbow, and uh, to to kind of interview with the managers to see who's a good fit. And I didn't know who was who. I didn't know who repped who. I didn't know anything. And I walked up to a guy, and he goes, "Hey, man, you're a good songwriter." I don't have all night. What do I got to do to get you? Who do you want to work with? Who do you want to produce your record? Who do you want to write with? I said, man, this is going to sound crazy because back then in the, you know, uh, late nineties, glam rock on the strip was like a dirty word. (laughs) And I just, I looked at him, I looked at the guy and I said, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but I'd love to write with a guy named Janie Lane. Well, the guy I said that to ended up being Abby Steinman, who was Janie Lane's manager. So Avi, being such a gangster, and I love Avi, looked right over my shoulder to all the other managers waiting to talk to us on the patio. He goes, go home, guys. He belongs to us. <laughs> and wow. I looked at him and said, what do you mean? He goes, hold on. And he picked up the phone, and the next day I was in Sound Arena and Van Nuys writing songs with Janie. And uh, we kind of struck up a friendship, mostly over our love, mutual love of college football. He's a Ohio State Buckeyes fan. I'm a South Carolina fan, and we had just, played each other in like the Outback Bowl. Oh. And so we were just bonding over that. And, um, you know, we became buddies. We, you know, we would run into each other. We chat and text occasionally during football season. 
you know, we weren't best friends or anything, but we certainly were friendly and we wrote songs together. Um, you know, we would run into each other, have a drink at the rainbow kind of thing. And Wow. So tell it, me, what happened to those songs that you wrote together? Did they ever see the light of day? No, I they're couldn't find in my them. bedroom. Oh. No, there's, there's three. There's three songs, and I never put them out because, after, to me, it was just about the learning experience and, and you know, getting to study with one of my, somebody, somebody I considered a songwriting master, right? You mm-hmm. get to study with them. And I didn't really take it like these songs were meant to release, but they're great songs. And if, you know, this apple pie thing generates enough interest, maybe, you know, maybe I'll, I'll let a couple out, you know, but wow. yeah, I'll have to re-record them. They're, yeah. they're 20 something years old. Well, yeah, but the, the, so you'd still give him a songwriting credit or whatever. And how's that work? That's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, if, if, I, if, if I dusted those things off, I would probably have to call, you know, somebody and yeah. you know in a range of co-write and all that credit but i don't you know i'd love like, to hear him no i'd love to hear him i mean yeah. even if you if you re-record it just to hear what you know what you two came up with i bet it was great and and to further the story when and just this just when I, again these this is a 20 year old story mm-hmm. so when i was working with janie we come up with some songs. We had a good list of songs. And Abby goes, who do you want to produce the record? I say, Bo Hill, because he produced the first two Warrant records. I just went, because I was just a dumb kid from the South. I trusted what I knew. I'm like, yeah. Warrant, I love that. I want to I use that same recipe. Whatever that recipe is, is what I want to do. And we next thing I know, we're in the uh, rehearsal room with Bo. He was set to produce the record. And then all of a sudden, our big showcase day for the label, John Weekland, John Kladner, our management, everybody was September 11th, 2001. And oh, as you boy. can imagine, as that got, uh, we, we actually ended up doing the showcase at SIR on Sunset. But as you can imagine, all the labels decided to pull anything new and not release anything new, much like right now. Um, and we kind of got shelved. I, we all came back home to Carolina, and you know, I, I maintained a good relationship with all those people because there were, you know, none of us could have helped what happened. Um, but yeah, Abby was great. He hooked me up. I actually wrote with uh, Donnie V from uh, uh, Enough Enough. Oh Get yeah, I just had up. him on here. Yeah, I wrote with those guys back then. I wrote with uh, Rick Steyer, who played in Warrant and also was in a band called Kingdom Come. Yep. I wrote with J- Jason Hook from Five Finger Death Punch. I was just this kid with an acoustic guitar going around like, holy crap. And uh, yeah, man, it was it was like a dream come true for me back then. But uh, but Abby definitely hooked me up with Janie. And then when Janie was doing a, uh, a tour, of just a solo tour with Kevin DeBrow, Abby called me and he's like, Hey, do you know anybody? I'm doing a routing date. And I, I found him a date in Rock Hill at a place called the money. And when, and that was the first day Danny landed, uh, and they broke his Taylor guitar at the airport. So I don't know where it came from. I think somebody bought it and they sent it to him. So he played another guitar. He did the whole run and he was coming back through town. I took him to the airport and uh, as he was getting out, it was a guild guild acoustic. There's a lot of pictures of him playing it. He got out of my car at the airport and I was like, Hey Janie, you, you forgot the guitar. It's in my it's in the trunk. He goes, Keep it. It's yours. Write a hit with it. I still got it today. So that's wow. the last time I saw him. Yeah. Wow. 
So there's a lot of history, a lot yeah. of real history with that guy. Yeah. No, I was a so huge fan too. Listens, yeah. yeah, when people listen to the song and they think this is just some country bumpkin playing this warrant song, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah, no, and and I mean, you guys have some other songs with Early Ray uh, that are that are great. The Fried Pickles and um, what is what is the other one called? Uh, Where the Wild Things Are is that what it's called? Right. Yeah, those, those are, are two those songs, are good songs. Yeah. So, and you you guys Thank have you, uh, yeah, you've got to play with some uh, besides you know your rock bands that you play with. You got to play with some big country names too, like Chris Stapleton, Zach Brown Band, Eric Church, right? Right. Yeah. What about? When Early Ray was really heavy in the area a few years ago, he had a really good draw. And if anybody knows how this business works, if a band's on the come up, they usually put a, a good drawing local band on the bill to help ticket sales, you know. And we were that band for about three years. And anytime somebody came through and the tickets weren't moving that quick, they would call us up and we'd add a couple of hundred tickets to the bill and we'd get to play with them. But we played with Justin Moore, um, Charlie Daniels, Stapleton. right? Then he just passed yep. away. What do you remember about opening for him? You you want to hear another crazy story? I'd love to hear a crazy story. The thing I remember the most is when I got off stage that night. I got a text that Janie had passed. Oh, that, that's God. the night. Yeah, that how wow. ironic. That is ironic. Yeah. yeah. So, but Charlie Daniels was absolutely a beast. Don't get it twisted. If people think he was only great on the violin, go watch him play guitar on some videos. He was a monster player, entertainer. And yeah, we got to open for him. A lot of those guys, and um, we would just get stuck on bills. And, and, you know, we'd go do the gig and we'd meet the guys in the band. Next thing you know, they were huge superstars and they come through and they didn't need us anymore. And it's all right. Uh, but, you know, part of the, part of the history, but, yeah, I've gotten to play with everybody from uh, Slayer to Charlie Daniels. I don't know many people who've done that. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, eclectic mix. Is there anybody that you haven't met or haven't played with that's on your bucket list? Ozzy. Ooh. That'd yeah, be a good Ozzy. one. I interviewed yeah, his bass player, uh, Blasco, who's in White Zombie and, and also played with or played with Rob Zombie and Ozzy. And so I think he felt the same way. He's like, he felt like that was the epitome. He's like, well, now what do I do? I've already, I've, I've done everything. <laughs> right. I mean, <clears throat> Ozzy is a guy that I was such a fan of and still a fan of. And I saw him one night in West Hollywood at, at the Hustler store. He was in there with a few <laughs> of his people. And they were, they, they were doing like an interview of him walking around the Hustler store. I, I guess he probably didn't even know where he was at, to be honest with you. But, okay. He was just walking around, but I, I was too scared to bother him because, again, I didn't want to meet him and when he was having a bad day and have my whole childhood ruined. So right. I kind of regret, regret, regret. Usually I'm the guy that'll that'll speak and talk to people, but that one I kind of regret. But, you know, uh, you know, I, I hear he's having some struggles, and so certainly, you know, uh, shout out and best wishes to the whole Aussie fans and fans. But yeah, Blasco's great. Blasco's the guy who actually put Piggy D from Wednesday 13 band. He's the guy who actually put him in Rob Zombie's band when he left. Oh yeah, he told me that whole story about how he's like, I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick my replacement. You won't even know I'm gone. <laughs> and I guess one of his That's friends exactly was like, happened. How did you play in both bands? Because uh Rob and Ozzy played together and he's like, 
that wasn't me playing in Rob Zombie. That was my friend. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That he's the guy. Who, he, when when uh, I left the Wednesday Project, Piggy left shortly after. Not for any other reason than he lived across the country, and it was just tough. And then he had been trying to. He had been trying to. He had been on the bench for that gig. I think him and Blasco had uh, had talked about it for a long time, and so he finally got the call. You know, from from the minors to go to the majors, and mm. he's had that gig. He's had that gig ever since. I know because I, I talked yeah, to Blasco about that. Like, now why did you give that up? Because although Ozzy's a good gig, you figure Ozzy's only got so many more years. Whereas Rob Zombie, I mean, he's going to keep going for a lot longer because he's younger. And Blasco's like, I know, but I just wanted a chance to play those songs. So, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's called doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, know? no, it's, absolutely. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. He's he's a great dude and a monster player as well. Absolutely, yeah. So you had um, you guys had some tour dates lined up with Early Ray, but of course the pandemic screwed everything that up. Now, um, can you guys collect unemployment as a musician, or how how are you guys surviving with that kind of thing? I can really only speak for myself because uh, I don't really know everything about the other guys. Everybody's kind of doing what they have to do. I take a few gigs here and there, outdoor patio gigs in okay. South Carolina. They, yeah. They're letting them do it. But but unemployment, no. Like, what's crazy is I've paid taxes as a musician literally over 20 years. It's been my job. And when I filed for unemployment, I called and they said, well, we don't consider this like a job. And I was what? like, well, yeah. I said, well, why did you take my money for 20 years of taxes? And they still haven't answered that question. And I'm still... Um, just getting by and thankfully my wife is a nurse and so her job is a, a priority and so she's helping maintain everything while we're kind of struggling through this whole pandemic and hopefully we can get back at it soon yeah no i hope so how are you guys i haven't um checked all the states i don't know is south carolina are they ramping up or they feel like the things are slowing down there i know i don't know if you know but arizona is like one of the worst right now that's where i am so well <clears throat> my wife told me back in i want to say april that predictions for this area being a hot spot was late june july and that's totally come true huh. uh right now we're 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 kind of getting our wave of what kind of arizona's getting florida's getting south carolina's getting it um you know we're certainly we're not as cramped up like new york city or la so you know if you want to you know, social distance and, you know, kind of shelter in place. It's, it's not as hard to do here, but mm -hmm. yes, yeah, certainly it's certainly become a thing, but we haven't shut the state down. We haven't, you know, there, there's regulations and stuff you got to follow, but so far, um, you know, if you watch TV, they make you think South Carolina's on fire, but I, it's, you know, there's people who got it and I don't want it. You know, I'm not smart enough to even, know what it is so i i, I do my thing and i yeah i, I stay, stay at home i wear my mask you know i don't ask questions you know right I yeah, had, me too i had a guy i had a guy ask me a few days ago in an interview how i felt about it i'm like dude i redid cherry pie you care about how i feel about medical things so <laughs> I, I, i'm not the guy you should talk to you know, because i really don't want anybody to listen to me on that because i don't even know yeah but no yeah, I, I agree I, I'm the same way. I'm just like, 
I do what the, the people tell me to do. I social distance and, you know, I wear the mask and I stay away from people and until they say it's safe, I'll, then I'll come out, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, otherwise you drive yourself crazy with all the conflicting information, all the this and that. Like yeah. a couple of months ago, I, I just pulled the plug. I wake up. I think Bill Burr said this on Joe Rogan's show. He goes, you know what? I wake up. I go, where, where are we at? What's the rules? Okay. And then I go and do, and I work around those parameters, you know, and yeah. that's what I do. You know? Yeah, you're right. You could drive yourself crazy consuming all the information. I mean, it's literally never ending with all that stuff. You could just con- consume articles, videos and all that. So 100%. And, you know, I, my biggest thing is, you know, I try to keep my immune system on a, you know, a, a good level. So I go walk and I get sun, I eat fruit, I drink water, you know, I do take vitamins. To me, that's the things that will give me the best chance if I get it, you know, of survival. And I wear a mask. So, you know, if it's in the cards, it's in the cards. But so far, knock on wood, you know, we've been, we've been blessed and haven't gotten, uh, gotten it or anybody in the family. So. Yeah, that's good. Well, so when things do open back up, um, I noticed that I thought I was the only dork that liked to do this, but you like to go travel to like famous places for movies and album covers and music videos and stuff. Um, so I saw you went to the wonder years house. You went to the, like back to the future, the vacation movies. Like you have this whole like side project where you, uh, visit these famous locations. Yeah, it started when I was a kid. Because, like I said, growing up here, there was nothing. And on, and to me, Los Angeles was TV land. Yeah, and me so too. When I, when, I, when, when I started to go to Los Angeles, I'm like, hey, that looks like Naki Tommy Tower from Die Hard. And I was, and, and I was like, that is Naki Tommy. And I was like, I got to take a picture. Yeah. And then I'd see this. So I got to take a picture. And next thing I know, I had, had a lot of pictures and it became a hobby. And, I literally thought I was the only person on earth that did it. Like I would find the Stanford and son building and I would find out the karate kid locations. And I was just a geek. And then I kind of was posting pictures for a long time. And a few of the people in that kind of subculture hobby found me and connected. And surprisingly, it's a pretty, I wouldn't say a big hobby. It's not, you know, Pokemon go or anything, but there's a lot of people who do it. And, and if anybody wants to see any of my adventures on Instagram, it's just nerd locations. Um, but yeah, I go, I, you know, I, I, I document rock and roll history. I document movie history. It's more of just pop culture. Pop culture. That yeah, that's great. No, I do the yeah. same. I've been to, uh, like I'm a big breaking bad fan. So we went to New Mexico. We did all those locations. Um, I went to the oh, Goonies yeah. house back before they, now they, you don't, they don't let you do that, but cause I'm from Washington. So I, you know, drive through Oregon and California, do all that. But yeah, you've been, you've definitely been at a lot more than I have. So it's no, it's really cool to see all those. Have you ever had trouble with some of the, cause like when we went to the breaking bad house, we had these ladies, they came out and they sat in their lawn chairs and they just gave us a dirty look the whole time. <laughs> well, this is going to sound a little bit wild, but it's just the truth. When you're six four and you're a gigantic <laughs> and you have sleeve tattoos, people let you take the photo. That, I just, that's the experience Damn I got. Damn it! Not that's fair. Just, that, that, it isn't. But I had people would contact me like I couldn't get into the the chateau to take that Zeppelin picture. I'm like nobody bothered me. I kept my head down, walked in, <laughs> took the photo, walked out. It it it. The the thing is, I think people look at you and go, mm, 
you know, he ain't bothering nobody. Let him do his thing. <laughs> so I get, I get away with a little more than a lot of people by that, you know, just, you know, I guess my size serves me to a point, you know, like when I go to, I went to, to the Michael Jackson thriller thing, uh, street in Los Angeles, which is just skid row all the way. And, um, I get out and about four people start to approach me and, the, and, you know, I'm probably a foot taller than all these guys. And I just, and I, I knew it was going to be bad. And so I just turned on the Southern crazy switch and uh, turned up the accent a little bit and asked them which one wanted to, you know, leave without teeth. And they're like, Jeez. they all disbanded. Yeah. But that, that, that kind of thing has happened, but wow. you know, you know, I, I talk a better game probably than I have. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it I, I did a picture at the Friday location mm-hmm. and I had a, a friend of mine go and take the same picture and he got robbed. <gasps> and it's just like, oh, yeah. No. So you have to do a little homework. If you're going to get into this hobby, yeah. do a little homework and, and make sure that you're prepared. Uh, but mo- I would say 95% is just friendly, free and clear. You run into some of those jerks who like, it's like, hey, lady, if you didn't want people to take pictures, don't move into Walter White's house. Or, exactly. Or yeah, or, right. That's what you, I thought. You, you, yeah, because it's, it's just, it's, it's like, you know, it's like being elected CEO of a company and getting mad because you have to wear a tie. It's like, come on, like people, people love this stuff. And by the way, that's on my bucket list, too, is to go to New Mexico and get those uh, locations. Oh, that's yeah, definitely do that. It's, it's cool. And you get the Better Call Saul, too. It's actually funny because we went, it was like during the first season of Better Call Saul. So we went to the brother's house and the guy actually came out and he was like real friendly. And I was like, oh, this is like probably usually not what we're used to. But I think it was so new that I don't think that many people had kind of been hip to it yet. And so he came out and he was right. chatting with us and he's like, hey, do you want me to come in and put the mailbox out? Because, you know, the mailbox where they put the, sh- the phone in. I don't know if you watch the show, but I guess that's not even a permanent oh, mailbox. It's like a it's like a temporary thing that they have to they take in and out. It's not even a real mailbox. So it's kind of funny. But. Yeah. So no, you actually, I, you actually made your own movie, right? Nito Mosquito. Tell me about that. Yeah. Like, like I said, I'm just a nerd creative guy. I, a lot of people when they're, when they're out the artists and this isn't, uh, this, I think this is more or less maybe an indictment on how mentally unstable I might be, but most people try <laughs> one one thing, one genre, and that's what they do. And I, I never, I would have to shoot myself if, if I had to play the same style of music from 15 to 50, you know, so yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to explore. And when I was a kid, I was obsessed with movies. I'd watch National Anthem Vacation five nights a week on Betamax. And, um, and so in my twenties, after the Wednesday tour, I was like, you know, I, I don't know if you're too much familiar with Kevin Smith's work, but he had a documentary. He had a documentary about quirks called the snowball effect. And it talked about how he just said, screw it. I'm making a movie. And he made it. And it inspired me. I'm like, you know what? I have all these ideas. I'm going to make a movie. I had no idea how hard it would be. I was a complete dummy, but thankfully with the help of uh, my partner and that Brian Oxendine and a few other people and, the cast and crew being really helpful and friendly and, and trying, we all kind of had a common goal to make this happen and it came out. So if you like super troopers, clerks, Napoleon dynamite and Juno, check out Nito mosquito. Okay. Well, yeah. Is it, is, did you say it was free on YouTube too or something or how do we watch it? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, it, just go cool. search it on YouTube. And, you know, it was, uh, it was never a thing that I expected to take off. Actually, after we made it, I kind of was like, all right, made it next. And I've always kind of been that way with some creative projects. It wasn't so much, I'm trying to be a filmmaker. I just wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. And experience it. And I'm actually have, have a few other scripts that at some point, you know, may get turned into something, but, um, but yeah, it's called Neato Mosquito. It's a little weird movie and it's on YouTube for free. And if you, if you collect DVDs, I have a few on eBay They're like 10 bucks. So cool. Um, yeah. So, and then besides, I always like to end up with a, uh, a charity. Is there a charity or nonprofit that you uh, like to promote? You know what? I, I really dig people that donate. That that there's a a group of people that go find GoFundMe's for animals who are going through cancer treatments or stuff. There's a few shady ones, but you can tell the legit ones. And I think the most impactful thing you can do is go find the animal in need on there and throw a few bucks at them. That's that's my charity of choice. Is wow. I always if I raise money, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. I'm sure there's there's a lot of uh, animals that would be in need for that. So yeah, I, I, I never thought of that, but yeah, you're right. There probably is a lot of GoFundMe for that kind of stuff. I had to actually, we actually had to put our one of our cats down about a year ago, and it was like one of the hardest things I ever had to do. But I was just like, I don't want him to suffer anymore. Like, you know, so I just didn't right. know. I th- so yeah, but sometimes you know, if you can, if there's something that you can do, a procedure that's easy or something, it's just sometimes expensive. So that makes sense. Yeah, for me. And this is not a knock on anybody's charity, but you can, if you know, you send money to wherever, you don't know where that money's going or Mm -hmm. who's chopping it up. But if you find, if just say you like cats, right, and you like certain cats, go type in cat health, whatever on GoFundMe. There'll probably be 10 or 20 people trying to raise money. Find one that you connect with and throw a few bucks at it. That's that's what I do when I have a few extra dollars and I, you know, my cup's flowing over, not right now, but at, at certain <laughs> times, yeah. but at certain times, you know, it's kind of, you know, I'll try to get back that way. And, and I see the immediate impact because they keep you updated on the yeah. animal, like post-surgery. Okay. And, and then when you see the animal doing great and running around the yard, you're like, you know what? I had a small microcosmic impact on this and it just fills your heart up oh that's awesome that's exactly why i always mention that at the end i know it might be a microcosm kind of thing but it's better than nothing right 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 absolutely yeah so you've done a lot of cool stuff i'm sure there's more to come i look forward to seeing more from early ray and um and also your filming locations i'm going to follow that um does early, would early ray would they ever tour over here in arizona you know uh stevie and i talk about it <clears throat> There's been a lot of chatter about touring and who we would be great with and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But right right now it's so uncertain. I think my gut just from friends who are in the touring industry, it, it feels like 2020 is kind of written off completely. So yeah. I think I, I think as far as touring, touring-wise go, we're probably looking at 2021. Yeah. But certainly... Er- Arizona loves to party and have fun too. Um, one of my craziest nights I've ever had in my life was I played a gig at ASU. Is that, is that ASU the Sun yeah. Devils? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, 
Jesus, you guys party like maniacs. <laughs> no, they definitely do. Yeah. And I'm like right at the heart of it because uh, I live in Scottsdale, which is kind of in between ASU. And then there's Old Town Scottsdale, which is just like a, a string of just bars, just nonstop. And so, yeah, it's like I'm getting a little too old for all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's fun to go out. I love going to concerts and stuff. So yeah, if you ever come down here, let me know. I'll, I'll try to bring in a little as, as big of an entourage as I can to come see you guys play. Be fun. Yeah, man. I, I'll buy you a drink and shake your hand and thank you in person for having me on your show. All right. Well, thank you for being on. I appreciate it. Let's keep in touch. Absolutely, brother. Thank okay. You. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's Rain Belshare from Early Ray. Follow him and the band on social media. Check out his Nerd Locations page as well. If you enjoy the show, please write a review wherever you listen on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. Uh, it really helps out with that algorithm thing. And then also you can hit the subscribe button and then uh, follow me on social media. That way you won't miss any future episodes. Um, you can also check out the uh, old episodes that I have. I got a back catalog of episodes if you like this one. Um, I've, uh, until next time, have a great day or night if you listen at night. And just remember to shoot for the moon.